Welcome to the People First Podcast. Now, I am super excited for this one. I've uh, I've bumped into Nat Brown. Hey, Nat, how you going? I'm good. How are you? Oh, fantastic. And I am I'm just with my notes in front of me. I've got so much I want to talk to you about. But before I even bother doing all that, before I go into everything we want to talk about, all the notes we've written down, I want you to introduce yourself to the people. Let them know who you are, what you do, and why I've brought you in today. Um, so I'm Nat Brown. Thank you for the intro. Um, I'm a mother of two. I work full time. Um, I think my story I want to share is important because I think I'm a person who absolutely loves what I do with my job. Um, I work for the Australian Paralympic Committee or now Paralympics Australia. Um, and who el- what else about me? I'm new to CrossFit. That's how I met you. I'm yeah. loving that as well. Um, yeah. Someone who didn't like the gym, I hear. Hated the gym. Really? Why? What do you reckon created that for you? Uh, I've always been a team sport person. I grew up playing touch football, Oztag, hockey. Just never really liked the gym. I'd get intimidated. Any representative teams there? Uh, I made a couple of Australian Ooh. train-on squads for... You do look familiar. Is it a hockey team? thing you went well with? No, Oztag. You look familiar. You've always looked familiar. You've had that familiar face to me. I'm like, I know Nat from somewhere, but... Maybe uh, maybe it does tag too. Yeah, long time ago. Now the Australian Paralympic team. Mm-hmm. Now that's something that I want to talk about. But before we go deep into all of that, you're a mother of two. How old are your kids? Uh, seven and three and a half. Seven and three and a half. Yep. Now um, both boys, right? Both boys. Both boys. And uh, can I ask you, uh, being uh, being a father of just one little girl, what? Do you think raising two boys, where do you think the biggest challenge lies in raising two boys? I mean, they are a little bit apart, and I'm sure you'll tell me why they're a little <laughs> bit apart in a minute. Do you find, like, what's your biggest challenge as a mum and, and raising these two boys? Uh, the biggest challenge, I think, is your children copy what you do. They are what you do. It could they're be a good thing. I know you. Totally, <laughs> right? Uh, they're a product of your environment and, and how you create these little people's upbringing. So, um, you know, it, it just means that home life, we have to make sure it's positive for these kids and, and it's going to impact them for the rest of their life. So uh, I've noticed just the small things, my casual swearing around the household. Uh, yes, yeah, sometimes these little people copy me and it's yep. just my little reminder of hey you know they're watching everything they that I'm are doing. Sp- you don't even realize they are sponges that queen my little girl <laughs> she's four and the other day she just at the dinner table she's called chloe a bitch and i was like <laughs> is something your bitch and i was like quinn what that and she bawled her eyes as soon as i was like what like why would you say that she knew it was wrong and i said where did you hear that from and it's from school like some yeah. child like i don't use that word around the home i use a lot of other words but bitch is not one of them and so i was like wow like you are a sponge. Like you would have heard that totally. maybe how many times at school? Two, three. I assume the kids wouldn't be saying it every single lunch break. Mm. And she has gone. I'm going to use that in context yeah. <laughs> next time so we have dinner do. with my mum. Full on. Now, I was actually talking to Nat before we started recording, and uh, she told me she factors to why there is about a what four year gap between your children. Do you want to fill us into why? Sure. So I was telling Shane um, with my job, I've done three summer games. So. I've done London in 2012, um, Rio 2016, and now I'm about to go to Tokyo um, for the next game. So I've had my children, I've had one child after every single Paralympic Games. So Morrison was born after London. 
um, Rio and Austin was after Rio. So I can should have named them. Rio and Lunny. <laughs> <laughs> I can assure you there'll be no more children ben. after Tokyo. Well, no, that's according to this uh, <laughs> system you've set up. You are now you owe us one. Yeah, no. you will. <laughs> oh, that's cool. So yeah, four years apart because of you know the games, yeah. right? So in our office at work, there's a lot of um, mums who do what I do, and we all have our kids who are the same age. Yeah, there's a. Um, a four-year gap between all the kids in the office, which is pretty cool. I find that interesting. That, that like, I think you, I think when you have a job that is like pretty intense, you know, you do a lot of work and you love what you do. Uh, to organize your life around that is is a must. And so, for you to have kids any earlier that in that season would have been almost chaotic for all the workflow and everything that you do. Right mm-hmm. now, speaking of. Um, our biggest challenges like so kids can be a challenge right Mm -hmm. one of the biggest challenges that i've experienced for myself is just you know trying to navigate through all of the parenthood work balance life balances that that i just haven't got my head around yet and they've been my biggest challenges i'm finding that because they're unlocking year by year by year i'm finding more challenges more challenges unlocked more challenges unlocked what would you say your biggest challenges thus far as an individual? And we'll go through where your biggest challenges lie at work later. But for now, biggest challenges for you that you've experienced in the last 39 odd years? Uh, biggest challenges for me? Oh, I, I think I'm a sucker for just taking on challenges. I just, I think I thrive in them. So Challenge magnet. Yeah, and I, I don't do anything by halves. So, for example... You know, when I decided to get married, well, doing it in Australia and having a small wedding just wasn't going to cut it for me. So, for example, I made it hard, um, had a big um, wedding in Malta, planned the logistics around it and, you know, we pulled it off. Um, in that time, my father-in-law was sick or future father-in-law was sick with cancer. He passed in that time. So I've always, you know, got different things going on at the moment amongst being a mum, two kids, work full-time, Tokyo, travelling a lot. I'm also um, in the process of – I'm meant to be building a house at the moment. And, oh, really? Whereabouts? Uh, I mean, if you want people to know. Yeah, just um, in Mulgoa Sanctuary, just out near where we live in Penrith, which is pretty cool. Um, you know, doing it with an architect, just all the details. I just make things a bit hard for myself. A bit extra. Yeah, but, you know, I don't do things by halves. That's just what I do. I like the challenge. Yeah. Which one out of all of that at the moment would you say has stood out for you as going, you know what, that rocked me to the core and I wasn't sure that I was going to bounce back from it? Um, I would say the building the house one. I've actually parked that project at the moment. I think I've just got so many things going on. Um, I am pretty good or I'm better now at just being better self-aware of where I'm at and and knowing where my limits are and uh, sorry I forgot to also add that I've also just launched my own company as well (laughs) I'm just doing that on the side so I think it's just about sometimes you can um, be ambitious and and just have a lot of things on your plate but you also got to have the ability to draw a line in the sand and go you know I'm going to park that right now I can't get to that that's not a priority so I don't burn out because I have burned out before um so, yeah, it's been a challenge in that time. I would say in the last three years, my husband lost his job as well. What um, did he do for what? He was resealing. He had a uh, he was a subcontractor. Um, he was resealing and regrading showers 
He was working with a product that was called epox that is called epoxy, and he got an allergic reaction to it. Oh no! So that kind of sucks. Um, that wasn't good for his um, health. Yeah. So we had to, you know, pack up his business. Um, he went on workers' comp. It was just a really challenging time. So that all impacted the house build and all sorts of things. But I think it's just um, sometimes you just you go through tough times. You you learn from them. But it's also I've I've learned you just sometimes have to park projects or just know that sometimes things take a bit longer to do and just to be okay with it. 100%. And I think uh, it shows a greater maturity of an individual who can say, you know what, right now I cannot take on all of the things mm. that I've decided to and I really? need to park this here. That does not mean I've failed or given up. It just no. means I've learned something about myself. Totally. And from that evolution becomes a, probably a better project further down the track because you're developing and growing. One of the things I'm interested about and, and why I think uh, when we move into what you do for work a bit more is where did your ambition do you think come from? Um, and you seem to have a ton of ambition. Like you've, you've taken on all these, yeah. these, these tasks and you're doing you're very ambitious, opening your own company, you know, you're raising children, you're in a demanding role with the Australian Paralympic team. Where, where does that stem from? Where's that desire? Because I think you have to want it because I would not want all those things. I'm not as in, I'm ambitious in other areas, but for me, I know where it comes from. It comes from a drive of just challenging myself. But at the same time, it's not only that. For you, what is it? Where does that ambition come from? I don't know. That I fire don't in the belly. You said you lost it for a bit, but it's come back. Uh, I grew up with two older brothers, so I'm the youngest. Yep. Um, I think... I don't know. I guess I just watched them and, and saw that nothing stopped them. And I think being the little sister kind of went, oh, screw that. I'm going to do that too. Or yep. I had very supportive parents. I still have very supportive parents. Um, I've just got people around me who just encourage me and have never held me back. Even my husband, we're quite opposite, but he just supports every single stupid, crazy idea that I have and we just compliment each other. Because you pull them off, apparently. <laughs> get them done at a higher level, execute. He knows, he has he the faith. He comes along for the ride, yeah, and he trusts me. How much older are your brothers? Uh, one's 11 months older than me. Oh, wow. We're lucky we're not born in the same calendar year. Yeah, cha that's cha that'd be challenging. From yeah, like mum, and dad told mum and dad told me I wasn't an accident. I was just <laughs> unexpected, <laughs> whatever. Reframed perfectly by the parents, yeah. nice work. Um, and my other brother is about four and a half years older than me. Yep. And what do, do you mind showing what they do for work? Or do, like where, where do their, their ambition as kids sort of push them towards in, in stuff? Uh, one owns his own company. He's like a project manager for like construction. Mm -hmm. um, he's doing really well. And the other one is um, he did town planning degree, but I think he works um, He works for – he sets up NBN stuff. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. So – being the youngest of three, was there always like um, inner sibling sort of competition? Oh, yeah, yeah. And so, you know, you do that kids, and can do it yeah. better. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there was always two of us that would pair off for different reasons. <laughs> the boys would pick on me or me and the older one would pick on the middle one because he was chubbier or the younger two would just because we were closer in age. So um, I think um, the fact my brothers have... Well, they've, they've been successful, but I think that used to intimidate me, but now yeah. it drives me. Mm. Now it's like, well, screw it. If they can do stuff, why can't I, you know? And what, what is your definition of success? How do you define success for you and your family? I used to define success by money, and yeah. it's nothing to do with that. Like the fact that I have a job that I absolutely love, I'm content, I'm a mum, I juggle a lot of things. 
That's success. Am I happy? Absolutely. Do I enjoy life? Yep. To me, that's success. I'm really happy. Good headspace, good people around me. Which is, actually, you said that and it sparked it. I did a message this morning and it says, and it was a message from a friend of mine. The greatest of uh, the greatness of a man is not a woman. The greatness of a man or woman is not in how much wealth he or she acquires, but in his or her integrity and his ability to affect those around him or her positively. That's, that's cool. How cool is that? Like you Perfect. just said that, and I'm like, boom! That reminded yeah, me exactly. That is the epitome yeah. of success. If you were to talk about, say, your childhood, you know, having the the siblings, having the supportive family. What did you want to be when you grew up? Where do you reckon all of the stuff that happened to you as a kid pushed you towards the role that you're in at the moment? Because I don't think that people like yourself have these opportunities in, in their jobs if they haven't done a lot of work on themselves or developed quite well as kids, adolescents, and young adults. So does that make sense? Like where, yeah, what would you say was your child, childhood like to help you get to the position that you're in now in the work that you do? Um, so my childhood, I had a great hot childhood, just a Western Sydney girl. Um, both my parents, uh, from overseas. So I'm first generation Australian, which is kind of pretty cool. Massive family. My one, my dad's one of 10 kids. Wow. No, one of 11, sorry. <laughs> Mum's one of six. Wow. So dad was born in Hong Kong. Mum was born in Malta. So I've got family all around the world. Lots of cousins, never short of a cousin. Anyone who knows me knows I have lots of cousins. Yep. So family was always big. We always felt like we belonged. So I actually feel really fortunate because I speak to people and know that they have one cousin or not a lot of family or they're not close to their family. And over the years, I've really – it's made me appreciate even more how grateful I am to have that. And mm. I grew up around that, which is really cool. Yeah. Um, with regards to how that kind of – in essence, um, push me to where I am with work. You know, I don't, I guess my advice is don't ever underestimate the value of a high school careers day. Mm. And that's how I kind of found the path of where I want to be and what I want to do. And I think I was probably um, maybe in year 10 or 11 and just looking at courses. I loved sport, played sport, but, you know, didn't know what I could do. I didn't want to be a PE teacher. I didn't want to be a physio. And there was something called sports management. Yeah. And I looked into it. And I remember when it said sports management and what careers it could lead to, it actually said something about working for the Olympics. And it was at that point in time, I think I was in year 11, I went, I want to work for the Olympics. Yeah, wow. And I've had that drive. So I would have been 17 and I'm nearly 39 now. That's 22 years of passion doing what I'm doing. So I don't work for the Olympics. I work for the Paralympics and it's yep. so much fucking better. <laughs> Excuse the French. Yeah. But you know what? It's the same, same. Um, it's that international level um, mega event. It's the pinnacle of, of sport, sport and yep. I'm part of that. And um, explain to me, because I don't think people listening might understand the, the significance of your role. Explain to us what it is. Yep. So what your title is and tell me like, it's not easy to get this role. It's, it's something that's sought after by... Everyone. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I don't I don't like to talk too, too much about humble, myself. Humble, that's why. Um, this is the time not to be humble now. Um, <laughs> so I'm the deputy chef de mission for the Australian Paralympic team for Tokyo, um, which in essence means I'm the second in charge of the team or the um, – so the chef de mission, which is a very French term. Mm, I um, like wee-wee. Oui, oui. I like yeah, French. Yeah, wee-wee. Um, so that's like the head of the delegation. So I just support the chef who is my boss, Kate McLaughlin. She's amazing. 
Um, I'm also the head of operations for the whole Australian team. So it's a pretty big gig, but I love it. So w- if there's a problem with the Australian Paralympic team, is it your does the buck stop with you before it goes to your boss? And then pretty if there's much. problems that you, I mean, I'm sure there's nothing you can't deal, but if there's something that you need help with, she'll then step in and help. Um, or we'll just have her own list of things and you're just yeah. separate entity. Yeah, pretty much anything to do with operations. So if you're talking about a team, it's logistics, it's flights, it's ground transport, it's um, cars, buses, uh, it's accommodation, it's moving horses, it's moving boats, um, it's the uh, accreditation, it's the sport entries, it's room allocations, it's, you know, we've got 400 people that we need to cater for over there. Now, with every job comes a story, right? Every single, like, you know, as a trainer, my first story, day one on the job, um, working at a gym, lady falls off the back of a treadmill, breaks both ankles. Not just one. First day, I'm on reception alone as a a gym floor overseer. First day of the job, lady falls off the back of the treadmill, breaks both ankles. Fantastic. Uh, It just led to this whole, like, she drove a manual car, had to organize her to get her husband in. Anyway, nightmare. So those stories... troubleshooting. Yeah, 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 yeah. If you had one story to share with us about what you've done over the last three, you know, Tokyo, Rio, London, what is one thing that you're like, I cannot believe we A, pulled that off, B, Mm -hmm. sorted it out, and, like, it just blew your own mind? Uh, It was probably my first games, which was London 2012, and I was the uh, uniform distribution manager. And I essentially got thrown that job uh, maybe four weeks out of it. And my boss just said, Nat, I need you to set up a warehouse. Um, (laughs) All our our uniforms are arriving. Um, You're going to work with the Navy and you've got seven staff to manage and go and pack 400 bags and make some sense of it. So just to put that in context, it would have been about 18 months earlier that they would have collected uniform sizes and... um, placed all the uniform orders. So I had no oversight as th- of that. I just got hold it, um, got handed a shitload of uniforms. <laughs> I didn't know who needed to be in what size or, or what method of madness they collected sizes and they pretty much just said, go and pack the bags. And, and I spent four months full-time in a warehouse with seven people from the <laughs> Navy. Um, by the end of it, I probably yeah had four months to do that. Then I had to put it all on pallets. I think it was about 35 pallets worth of uniforms. Wow. Send it all over to Cardiff in Wales. And then I had to distribute it out to everyone and get everyone to try their kit on um, They after they landed on ground. Um, so they would have travelled from Australia straight into Wales. And the minute they landed, they came straight to me to try on their uniforms and they were tired and cranky. Yeah. And then I just had to manage that. And that was my first games experience and it was a, it was a bit of a mess. And I remember during those four months, there were tears and frustration. And by the end of it, by the time you finish a big, big project like that, you're like, oh, wow, let's do it all over again. Yeah, you, well, st- let's start prepping for the next, right? Yeah, and I'm doing it now. I think you would have seen yesterday. Yeah, you saw, I saw a snap or an Instagram story or something uh, like that of a warehouse. Yeah, yeah. So we started that for Tokyo yesterday. So we started yesterday and that'll take you four months? Yeah, I'm not doing that now. I'm the person yeah, yeah, yeah. overseeing it. But that'll but yeah. take four months for them to... <laughs> totally. Did you do what was done to you? You know, like retribution, just throw it at someone and go, good luck? It, well, you know what? It's so funny. Things I learnt, that was nine years ago that I would have done that for London and there's so many things I I learnt from that experience that I'm now saying to my guys in the warehouse, hey, make sure you do it this way and that way because hindsight's a bitch. Like I learnt so many things from that that we can do it better this time and it's great. Yeah. Oh, man. I've tried to organise apparel, right, (laughs) that I created 
in generic sizing, oh. generic to, for a hundred people at a gym, let alone an entire athlete team, done with just four hundred bags. Yeah, now you think about um, Paralympic athletes; some of them missing arms, yep. missing legs, and so everything's like obviously it's all modified. Custom, custom. Yeah, custom. Well, it's made generically, and then we give them the opportunity to customize it and get alterations and all that sort of stuff. So that's another. And that you said they took sizing eighteen months before, which means yeah. for a year yeah. and a half, like or well, eighteen months, like you know, you've got a fair amount of leeway with size changes. You know, Absolutely. people that are now peaking and for their sports. Absolutely, and, and they have to predict that. Or you've got <laughs> someone who wasn't even considered eighteen months ago, and they've just turned up on your list, and you're like, you're a three XL. <laughs> you don't get one. Sorry, <laughs> you're not, no, you can, I got another team here. Yeah. I got the Italian team. <laughs> Give them that different uniform and just yeah. cross it out. Wow. Yeah. So that's just a, a, my probably first and fondest memory of a challenge I had. Yeah. Yep. Now, what is your highlight from all three? You know, is it for you? Um, well, Tokyo's yet to come. That's it. When's that? August? No. Uh, yeah, August. Yeah, August. Yeah. Um, are you excited? Yep. I'd be pumped. It's not yep. far off. And so, out of the ones that you've done, all the leading up to this one in August. What is the highlight for you? Where, where where does your passion to go and do it all over again? I mean, there has to be a reason. There has to be a, a purpose, a connection there for you to go fiery. Like that's exactly why I'm doing it. Like that builds me up and let's let's go again. Yeah, Four more years it, of prep. It, can't it's wait. It's funny at the end of every game. So my boss and I, Kate, um, I think she started the year before me. So she's in her 12th year. And I think after every games, we're like, oh, we're, we are not doing this again. And, um, you know, I've already had started having meetings with Paris 2024 and I'm like, oh, are we going to do <laughs> Are we actually doing this again? What's um, probably reignited my fire is this postponement. Like this games with COVID and the, um, has been the most challenging to date. But I think the fact that um, everything didn't go to plan, um, we spent four years planning for Tokyo and then they got postponed on the 24th of March last year. Mm. Um we now then spent the next uh, 18 months replanning everything, something that would take four years. We had 18 months to do. And there's times, uh, I think just before Christmas, I was ready to pack it in and then I came back. I had a month off and came back from leave and, it, you know, I was excited again. Um, sometimes when things don't go to plan or you get a big challenge, like to me right now with everything and all the COVID layers and the elements that we have to consider – it's all about troubleshooting and the fact that nothing has gone to plan with these current games, it, it actually excites me. I love it. I thrive in it. I love the troubleshooting. Yep. I love just um, you've got to come up with a solution. Solution, yeah. Uh, at some point we've got shit to do. We're going to have to um, start locking in plans and planning, you know, getting everything organised. But I've fa found that challenge has probably kept me going because I think when you keep doing games, you can get bored with it. Yeah. So this one has certainly... Um, Made it fresh. Yeah. Something you've never experienced before. Now, yeah. where were you uh, March 2020 uh, when you were told, oh, yeah, shit's hit the fan around the globe? Um, uh, there's problems. Do you remember that moment? I remember the moment when the games were postponed. I was actually on a call with the Tokyo 2020 organising committee. I hadn't heard it yet and they hadn't told it to me yet. And someone from the Australian embassy had actually messaged me saying, hey, have you heard this? And you're like, hold on, let <laughs> me just to chat to this. I had to reach over to my phone. And then I had to awkwardly ask this question. They're like, oh, and the Japanese are quite conservative, so they didn't give anything away. So I remember reading it in a text message midway through um, an international meeting, which was quite interesting. But um, it was a bit of a shock and a relief when it, 
got announced. Look, it had never happened before. It was better than them cancelling it. Mm. Um, but I think the sad part and the hardest part about it was um, our organisation made a lot of staff redundant um, when COVID hit and about a month after that. So, you know, I lost some friends and, and good colleagues during that time and it put a lot of pressure on us. But I was very grateful that I still had a job. Yeah, wow. Yeah. From all of that, did you – so you were mentioning before we started recording as well that it created an opportunity for you to see a problem now that's moving forward. Yeah. What was the problem you noticed? Um, so when COVID hit, um, you know, it was a bit of a shock. We all went into a working from home arrangement. I had colleagues that lost jobs. Um, I also thought, shit, am I next? Am I going to lose my job? What happens if these games get cancelled? Um, you know, I was homeschooling, so I was walking a lot. Yeah. I needed to get out of the freaking house. Yep. Um, and I was doing a bit of soul searching. And it just made me realise and thought, geez, um, what can I do? How can I maximise on this? Or what opportunities are there right now and how can I maximise on them? So just before COVID did hit, um, I was due to go on a site visit to Japan um, in March. And about three weeks out, that got cancelled. And that was my last trip to Tokyo um, before the Games, which were originally in 2020. Um, so... In saying that, the fact that I couldn't travel overseas made me go, oh, hang on. So th there's a few international events coming up in Australia in the next few years. One of them's the Women's World Cup in 2023. Um, there's also like netball, basketball. There's a few World Cups going on. I think there's a cycling, a road cycling event in 2022 as well. And hopefully very soon they announce um, and, we, and we win the bid for the 2032 Brisbane Games. But anyway, just in saying that... Um, when I work, um, I go overseas a lot to do a lot of, um, I guess when you plan for a big event, there's a lot of work that goes on in the background with the, the people who organise it. Um, and I use a lot of local people in the host countries for whatever event and games that I'm working on. So in Tokyo, um, I've got a guy on ground who does all my running around. He's called a fixer. So I realised... Yeah, go for <laughs> Go um, for this. <laughs> so I realised when once that site visit got cancelled that there was an opportunity that, you know, Business travel just changed completely and sometimes, um, you know, people aren't going to be able to come out or in and out of Australia for these events coming up very easily. So then I decided to start my own company and go, hey, why don't I be a fixer? Um, and with the wealth of experience I've got, I can be more than a fixer as well. I can come up with solutions and ideas for these guys because this is my home soil. So that's what I did. So during COVID, um, the Women's World Cup was actually announced and, and Australia New Zealand won that bid, which was awesome. So I kind of predicted that and went beautiful. Um, so I've already had some meetings. So I pretty much started my own company to be a local person on ground for the next couple of years for the organising committee, for broadcasters, for the different teams and just to say, hey, whatever you need done in Australia to plan for that event in the next couple of years, you can't get here you're very unlikely to, you know, Australia's the other side of the world for a lot of these countries. Yeah. That they don't want to come here. They don't want to quarantine in hotels for two years. So the idea is the, you know, I'll reach out to them and say, what do you need done? And I'll help you plan. Yeah. That two-week yeah. quarantine period would be oh. the end of the world for some. That's what's the point. Like, I'm looking forward to it when I come back from Tokyo personally. I get to recover. <laughs> two weeks rest. Yeah. Do you... Um, when you are go, like going through, how do you how do you promote that business? I mean, is there a select group of people that you just you just know? Is it just all in in house promotion or? Yeah, it's pretty much in house promotion. Promotion. So I had to cut up, you know, create the company, create yep. my brand, um, you know, do logo, business cards, 
LinkedIn. LinkedIn's so powerful. Yeah, wow. Um, and then I think, yeah, just reaching out to my networks. And I think I didn't realise how many or how broad that was until I needed to use it for my business. So, yeah, just connections, just – and I, I believe in the universe. So it's just – it's amazing how many conversations I've had through my work with Paralympics going oh, – I was meant to meet that person or have that conversation because I'm going to chat to you later about my business. So yeah, wow. Yeah, so it's just it's just I'm very lucky that what I do has been I've been able to leverage my business on the side just from knowing the people Contact. that I do through my work. Great. Because I could imagine it being very difficult. You wouldn't just go and add a Facebook group <laughs> and just try and advertise it on no, Instagram. It's a very <laughs> yeah. niche, niche group, yep. and it's it's a sports specific people that you it need to is. talk to. Yeah, yeah. Now, with um, with the COVID stuff and having to change direction in what you said, eighteen months, it, you guys had, or yeah, you've had to change direction within eighteen months, right? Uh, replan everything replan. for the games in eighteen months. Yep. Does that mean we can start seeing more reoccurring Olympic games because you're so much better at it now? We can just do one every two years, just half that time because you just <laughs> well, you're so much better at it now. Like, funny thing is, why is wait four years? Well, Let's just go. Six months after Tokyo is the Beijing Winter Games. Oh, so you got that six month gap there. It would normally be an eighteen month gap, yep. but the postponement, so that's closer. And now Paris is only three years away. So we can so just keep doing. We just drop even drop off a year because four years well, a long I time. I don't need a break to have kids anymore. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that gives athletes out. more opportunity. And then yeah, and totally. their, their expanding career. Now, speaking of athletes, do you get a chance to uh, sort of dive into their stories, you know, like yep. how they became um, the best part of my job. some of the best athletes on in the planet, on the planet, in the planet, on yep. the planet? And how is, is there anyone there that in your mind you're like, this person is just in my eyes and my view, just the elite of the elite? I mean, there's so many of them that are just so great. But if there was one that just stood out for you, you know, personality-wise, you know, performance-wise, is there anyone in there that you? It's funny. I, I don't. Our athletes are all like they're elite athletes. So yeah. I, I, you know, this isn't the Special Olympics. These guys are elite, right? My relationship and connection with the athletes isn't so much about understanding and appreciating their sporting prowess because I just love. Like on a friendship level or understanding the journey that they've been on or, you know, understanding whether they were um, acquired their disability from or impairment from an injury or an accident or an illness or some of them who were born um, with their impairments. Like to me, that's the part of the athlete that I go, oh my God, that's so amazing. Yeah. Or to hear just how many games that they've done or how they started off is just phenomenal. Yeah, the stories you would hear. Is there any, like Because oh. the reason I asked that is I remember, and I can't remember, I think it's in a US Paralympic basketball player that I remember watching a documentary on. And the story, just quickly, and I could be getting this all wrong. I know that the story is right, I just can't remember who. But anyway, he um, could even be an Australian one. Why would I have been anyway? Um, the story was that he was basically hated his life and a drunk and an alcoholic and was just wasting his life away as an individual, fully yeah. capable individual, right? Like just like living his life, but wasting his opportunity in life. Got drunk one night, found wound up in the back of a, a Ute. I think his brother or his friend didn't know he was in the back of the Ute sleeping. Yeah, I know drove, a lot of those stories. Crashed yeah. the car. Um, became a paraplegic and now is a gold medal, you know, Paralympic, yep. changed his life, motivational speaker, yep. inspiring children, creating positivity all around the world. But because of that accident, yep. had he never, you know, had he never been a drunk, I guess, to begin with and been so off his face that he found himself in the back of a ute and then in a terrible accident, um, 
he would not have changed hundreds of other kids' lives, totally. thousands of other kids' lives, and being the person he was and being now a gold medalist and being one of the best Paralympic basketball players on the planet. Like, it's amazing. Yeah. Like, that stuff, that, that, that gives me tingles, you know? Like, I'm like, that totally. is cool. Totally, and uh, for a lot of these guys, if you had a... If you ask them the question, if you could turn back time and change anything or not have that accident or that not happen that day, would you? And a lot of them are like, no, nah, absolutely not. not. Yeah, wow. It's funny. I was at a wheelchair rugby event one time and I worked closely with a um, wheelchair rugby team many years ago with work. So I knew a lot of the boys and I knew all their stories. Um, so one time I was um, sitting at a wheelchair rugby event. I was just in the crowd. I was talking to a friend. And I was just explaining all the different athletes and, uh, you know, oh, that guy, he had a, a snowboarding accident and, and that one over there, he was in Canada and he um, had a drunken night out and he fell down some stairs. Um, that one, um, he dived into some water. That one over there, he was an aspiring uh, rugby league um, athlete. He was 100 metres from home. He was a passenger in the car. Um, the person wasn't drunk, but they just fell asleep at the wheel and he was the one person in the car that ended up paraplegic. So I knew the stories of every single athlete and I was just telling a friend. By the time I'd finished talking, I didn't realise I had an audience of about 30 people around me who were listening going, <laughs> oh my God, how amazing is that? Like, And the fact that they heard me just sharing the stories. But look, aside from their stories, that they are athletes on the court. But I think when you hear the stories of the athletes, it just, I don't know, it's its that personable touch. It, the story just shares a lot amplifies. more. Amplifies their journey, what they've been through, their resilience, and um, it's just amazing. Because I think it's can pe people can kind of put it two ways. If something traumatic happens to them, it can be the end of you know mm. their, their search for, for purpose and meaning. And then yep. some people can go, well, hold on. Yeah. Um, I've got a chance to now to show and to change. Yep. Is there one individual person that you just think like there's no way, shape or form that this person cannot go unmentioned because they are just absolutely changing lives? Um, uh, look, I'm really good friends with Danny DeToro. She's our team captain um, for the second games in a row. She's just an amazing human, like – I don't think her, her story in particular is um, anything exciting. I think she had an accident or a, a brick wall might have fallen on her when she was at school or at a swimming carnival yep. when she was about 11. I don't know. She was in high school. But uh, she's just – you just meet – I think I've just made a really good friend out of where I work and yeah. she's just amazing and I was at her wedding last year and she's just – she she cares about everyone and she's passionate and she's an athlete and she's a leader and – yeah, that's just cool. Now, having your role and the responsibility, have you ever felt like you've dropped the ball? Have you ever felt like you've let down the in the team or anybody that you work with? And if you, how did you learn from that that mistake? Because I think we all make mistakes in our jobs, in our work, in our like I've made mistakes, and and I'm and I would put my hand up first as I hate his list of things that I've learned from. This is why I'm much better now as a, as a trainer, as an athlete, as a coach, and I can help these people. Um, but that's because I made the mistakes, and now I'm also ready to wear them on the chin. Have you made any dramatic mistakes that you can remember that you're like, yeah, I needed to learn from that. That was something that needed to teach me a lesson. Um, in Rio, in the lead up to it, probably three weeks before I departed to go to the games, I got really sick. And I was burnt out and I didn't recover. And 
I even my flight out to Rio, I had to delay it. Uh, I couldn't leave with the rest of my colleagues. I had to lay it by de- delay the flight by about three days. I'd been to the doctors in the weeks leading up to, couldn't shake it. So it was like the flu or? Yeah, I don't know what I had. Um, even flew business class over. I got there, I landed um, within about four days. Oh, not even, two days. I was in hospital. Oh, no. I was in a Brazilian hospital where no one spoke English. Um, I'd been on that many rounds of antibiotics before I left Australia. In the end, they just put me on a drip with the antibiotics, um, I managed to get through that. I had a really bad cough. Uh, I think I ended up coughing so much that I cracked a rib. So I ended up in hospital again. So, uh, you know, that to me really showed. uh, And and then I think I I recovered from it. And then my boss said to me, do you want to go home or do you want to stay? She said, don't make a rash decision. It's totally what you want to do, but just sleep on it. And I'm glad she offered me that. So I ended up staying. And then the, the last two weeks of the games, I did my job. I recovered. I did well. Um, you know, that's not something I did intentionally. But what I've learned from that is now I manage a team of people. And I'm very aware about burn. checking out, mm. checking in with them regularly, reminding everyone not to burn out, um, checking in to say, what do you need? How can I help you so you don't burn out? Letting people know that it's okay to put your hand up if you need help. Letting people know it's okay that if, if you are the person who needs to go to hospital at games, you're not a burden, you're a team member and we'll look after you. 100% Nat, well said. And uh, yeah, it's important that your team feels exactly like they are a part of a team and not a burden. Now, moving forward, do you have any routines? So are there any routines that you have uh, daily? So what does a day look like for Nat? Uh, get the kids ready for school, pack bags, drop them off, go to work, do my thing. Yep. Come home uh, between my husband and I, someone picks them up from school and then, you know, dinner and then coming home, put them in bed and get back online doing more work. Because I think you feel like sometimes you feel when you see people who are successful in what they do, you think they must have the most perfect <laughs> routine, balanced lifestyle, meditation at four in the morning, yeah. then. I'm like, and but no, because real life is very different, you know, um, especially when you've got kids and a family to balance on top of that, not just yourself. So that's why I'm always interested. Is there th- something that you could not live without in the morning, though, like so, or during the day, even coffee? It, coffee, yeah, yeah, gets I need you a through. Coffee. <laughs> yeah, a real coffee gets yeah. you online. It's that's yeah. switched on now. Yeah. How do you take your coffee? Um, an almond latte. Oh, they're nice. Yeah. I've only just started trying them, but still a long black fan, double shot. Extra shot. Um, now, with um, one of the questions I generally ask here on the People First podcast is that: Are there anything? Is there anything or any books, audio books, something that you think would help other people that are listening in any area of life? It doesn't have to be about what you do or about being a mom or about being, you know, um, your role as, as the Australian Paralympic team um, and all that sort of stuff. Something can be completely off task. Is there a book or something that you've read or a podcast you listen to that helps you that you could reference and, and help other people with that they might want to try and listen to it all? I'm, it? I'm not a big reader, but since COVID hit and um, I would say I've gone on a bit more, I'm, I'm not a religious person, but I think I've gone on this spiritual journey where I've just discovered more about myself and and just been doing a bit more soul searching and I am a sucker for a good uh, psychic reading and, and all that sort cool. of stuff, which is really cool. And um, I how, re- how spot on? I mean, oh. I, there's this lady. Oh, amazing. You've, you've been that spot on? Yeah. I need to, I need to get... But that scares me a little bit. Does it frighten uh, you? No. Nah. 
Not at all. No, no, no I, I, I like it. I, I'll get a reading just to k- see if I'm on track and if I, or I just need some clarity and going, oh. where are we at? Like well, that's, uh, that scares me. I don't want to. I don't want to know. No, that's that little controlling just part of me. Experience just that bridge when I get there. If it's on fire, it's on fire. Because I have a, a friend of mine. Her, her tater, her grandmother. Like her, she reads coffee cups and stuff like that. Oh, and cool. and I, she can't speak much English. Well, she can, but not not perfectly, right? And she. Uh, read one of my coffee cups and I could not tell you how ac- she was the most wow. accurate. She doesn't know anything about me. How do they read coffee cups? What, once you was, finish it? Yeah, I have to leave a little bit in there then I have to put my my thumb <laughs> into the coffee cup. I, I was like, this can't be legit. She's not going to be able to know anything. Yeah. Legitimately, everything that she said, not one word wrong wow. about my life. Yeah, I believe it. And I and I took, I drank the coffee down to like a little bit, left a little bit in there, swirled it around, put my thumb in, put it on the saucer and then she's, she was like spot yeah. on. There's something bigger than what we know. Couldn't believe I, it. Yeah, totally. And it, that's what made, and, and so I always think, oh, you know, I would love to go down and do that again and, and, and sort of have her read my coffee cup. But it does make me fearful. Like I get this little snot, snot, not in my stomach where it's like, maybe what she reads next is not really for you to know. I maybe not, maybe not entitled to know that. Maybe that's part of living it. And I think I'd, I think you wouldn't be told it if you're not meant to know it. And if you're meant to hear it, it'll come out of someone's mouth. Yeah, I guess. I get worried that they just tell me shit I don't want to hear. Shane, you're in a terrible position in life. Yeah. <laughs> you just sort your shit out. I know, I've been trying. I've been trying yeah, for a while. but what can you learn from that? Well, I don't know. Yeah. See, I don't, well, can there's they, an underlying message. I don't know. I, I, I have to bring you with me. Matt, <laughs> 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 decipher and organise now my life moving forward. Now... Do you so you, the psychic spiritual spiritual journey for yourself? Yeah. And so yeah, I and I knew you were going to ask me this question, and I recently went and got this reading off this guy at some fair, and he was selling this book, and I bought it, and I've I've brought it here today oh, just cool. to talk about it. It's called Desire by Leon Beaton. Now I'm going to want to read it. You can't yeah, put a book a cool in front book. of me. And I don't, yeah, I but it's read just about it says connecting with your divine ins- inspiration. Yeah, inspiration. But I just look. I'm a firm believer of your energy and what you put out there and setting your intentions, it all comes back. So Mm. if you think you can't do something, well, you know what, you're probably not going to do it. And if you believe in yourself and and, and how you vibrate your energy, I'm all about energy. Like I can pick up on energy very easily or someone's energy, if it... Rubs it the wrong way. Oh, yeah, I just remove myself from that situation. Like to me, I don't need to carry that energy. I just, um, it's not good for you. And I think it's about being aware of that. Um, I've had people come up to me and said, oh, my God, just being around you or your energy is just so positive. And, like, to me, that's a compliment. But um, It's a safe energy. I feel yeah. – I, I like that. And, like, you feel like a, someone, a trustworthy, safe totally. energy. And I get that from you in the gym. I hate the gym. And the <laughs> fact I met you and I went, oh, actually, no, this guy doesn't make me feel intimidated. He encourages me and he will help me. Yeah. that's You're probably the reason I've cu- turned up for the last six weeks. Which is so good because – accountable. That, I remember just starting the gym and thinking – the last thing I want is for someone to walk through this door and to feel the way yeah. I was feeling yeah. in every other environment that I'd been in a gym. And yep. it was frustrating me because I'm like, I've never experienced like a comfortable, safe, positive environment. It's always about, you know, I felt like it was all ego driven. Totally. March owners, especially with the men, like, cause that's a male energy. I'm going to, I guess, sort of read that a little easier. So in those gyms, I was like, I feel like I don't even belong in, in yeah. these environments. That's what so I hated about it. Created this space. And uh, hopefully everyone gets along. I mean, I don't see anyone arguing, so that's yeah, a good thing. Good on you. <laughs> now, with books, this is the one I want to read that now that you've put that in front yeah. of me. So when you're done, let me know. Yep. Um, <laughs> or I'll just go buy my own. Um, 
Is there anything that you've read recently apart from that one or heard recently that's just gone, boom, 100% online with where I want to be, where I want to travel and what I'm trying to achieve and accomplish? Now, I asked you if you wanted a different, I think before we started recording, if you wanted another, if you wanted to move forward in this job, right? Like how do you move mm-hmm. forward? You, you know, you, is it Kate, your boss? Yeah. I mean, if she stepped down and said, hey, this Doesn't is for you. Me. Yeah. Oh, to me, I've never been caught up in titles. Yep. I've never, I've been fortunate enough. I've progressed in my career in this job where I'm at. I've been there for 11 years. It's kept me going because over the years my job has changed, but I don't get caught up in titles. Do I have ambition? Yeah, I do, but I know opportunities always turn up and I kind of see where I'm at. I still have the passion for what I do. I'm I'm happy to keep going, Um, but creating my company on the side has been, you know what, when I get bored with that and when I do, and I'll, I'll figure out when the time is right. I don't know when that is yet. I've now created something that I can do for myself. So um, do I want to do what my boss does? No, she's probably more the figurehead, the one doing interviews, having to talk more in front of people. I like being the person in the background, just mm. keeping stuff going. Yep. Sometimes I've had to step in for her and do the odd radio interview or st- stuff for her, but that's not my thing. You know, she yep. does it because she has to. So, yeah. No, that's cool because I, I would like to ask that question with people because I think sometimes we get caught up in, I guess, not even not even the present because the present's a good place to be. But if, we, if we're not looking, because sometimes I've been so caught up in the present that I don't think it's, it's not a negative to look forward to the future. Yeah. So I sometimes think for my own self, I look back and I've done this for 10 years and I think, Shane, could you have done more if you looked up a little bit more frequently? If you looked yeah. up and went, oh, that, that person four years down the road there, well, I want that in two and a half years. You know, I've never done that. I've just lived my own life, done my yeah. own thing and, and run my own course. But then I think, well, okay, can I help more people if I look up a bit more frequently? Is there a position? Yeah. Can I, you know, can I do something bigger and better and bolder? Do I have more audacious goals that will put me and everybody around me in a better position? And and I think that's a responsibility and obligation of my own to do that every now and again, but I haven't. <laughs> so I ask everybody that I talk to about it to so probably steal their ideas. <laughs> so no, that's cool. Now, if you... One of the other questions we asked Nat is if you were to have dinner with someone that has passed, and I'm going to ask both. If someone, if you could have anyone, a dinner with anyone alive at the moment and who has passed, who would they be? And they can be at the same dinner, which I think is always cool because then you think different personalities. Um, so this was an easy one for me. If someone who's passed, I would easily just say my father-in-law. So his name was Steve. His nickname was Chock. And in the family, we call him Bun. So he was like a best mate. He's, he was my husband's best mate. So the father and son, they're very lucky that they had that. Yeah. Um, but he was also one of my best mates. And I actually met my husband through him. I, his dad was an Oztag referee. And um, I knew him for maybe a couple of years before I met my husband, Nate. So, um, yeah, he, he passed away just before we got married, about five weeks before our overseas wedding, which was, uh, you know, in the lead up to a wedding you meant to... Uh, be excited and the family was dealing with a family member slowly dying dying and then he passed so um but it was a it is what it was but yeah I was very close to him I've got a special connection with my father-in-law that I'll forever have that he passed away um on the 8th of May in 2013 and then my son was born on the 8th of May 2014 so you know I, you can never, ever imagine to plan that and uh, it's a, a small blessing in disguise that a shit day in our family forever turned into a good day and wow. that's the connection we have. I have no doubt that he was somehow part of that and 
with the universe line that one up right and I'll forever have that special yeah connection with him. Now, I remember before we started recording, we had a chat about this, and I thought, um, you know, you, you said he you know, obviously wasn't there for the wedding, and I said he was there. Oh, yeah, totally. Um, he just wasn't physically there. Now, in that moment, could you feel, like when you were getting married, could you yeah. feel his presence? And then was there something that stood out where you're like, yep, totally. there he is right there? Yeah, and and even when I had my speech, and I, I didn't even need to cry because I just kn- knew he was there. And, and I think that the sad thing is, yes, he did pass away five weeks before our wedding, um, and he had a uh, he passed away of cancer and 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 suffered from that. But I think deep down, I I I believe that he he died during that time, so we could enjoy that holiday. So you know, we we had a holiday as a family that we were all overseas together for a fortnight in Malta, and it was almost like we grieved and celebrated his life. And like what when you're grieving, what better way than to be together as a family in Europe on a holiday together? Like to really mm mend some of that and and I have no doubt he was part of that like that was just his little the little silver lining of he passed but you know what he's he gave us that opportunity to enjoy it so it wasn't stressful and um, I'll forever be grateful for that because we needed that I love that that's such a strong connection for you now I think that's if you're ever going to lose somebody to have those connections especially with the birth of your son and everything that follows follow that cool is just yeah, it's a gift. It's funny gift. in the lead up to when I was pregnant, some people kept saying to me, "Oh, you don't want the baby born on that day. That would be so sad." And I'm like, "No, it, it wouldn't be sad. It'd be pretty special, actually." And, yeah. And he came. I think he, oh, he probably came about six days early. Yeah. Wow. Son, so See? it was all natural. It is, is, yeah. I'm all it was for almost to the minute. It was almost to the minute. <laughs> things happen like just randomly. I think there's a reason it's that the that universe. happened. Yeah. 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 Now, someone alive. Who uh, would you? All of the people it, in all of the world. Ah, uh, look, just off the top of my head, I I, I do like a bit of humour. So I, th- I initially thought someone like Jerry Seinfeld, <laughs> who would uh, I know he does. Uh, those be a dinner inter- about nothing. No, he does those <laughs> interviews in the cars. Have you seen them? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah the funny. comedian so, ones. Yeah, ah, uh, look, anyone that can make me laugh would yep. be. Are you a Seinfeld fan then? Uh, not a big one. I, d- I can't quote things like some of those Seinf- Seinfeld nerds. But, but he's stand-up. He's like just funny. Yeah. He's just a funny bastard, yeah. <laughs> he reminds me of like, the American version of Carl Barron. Like, yeah. Just, you know, like Carl Barron's Australian uh, observationalist almost. And <laughs> he's the same with the American attitude with the, the people in New York. and not about everything, yeah. The best. Because um, when I – like, I've thought about this a long time. There's, it just changes every week, though. Like, you know, like um, – what's his name? Um Williams. Robbie, uh, Robin, Robin Williams. Robin Williams, yeah. yeah. And I think, you know, someone passed, Robin Williams. and But then I also, then I get track lost on the track of Williams. And I'm like, what about Robbie Williams as well? Like, he's yeah. alive, like, obviously. Yeah, yeah. But then I do, like, it just changed all the time. There'd be so many amazing totally. people to chat to. And I think, yeah, Jerry Seinfeld would be, maybe he'd be on my podcast one day. But that'd be cool, wouldn't it? Now, now, what I want to do before we wrap things up, I've kept you for here for over an hour and I know you've got a whole bunch of planning to do and stuff to do for not only work but for your life. Before I let you go back into the free world there, what do you want to leave people with? You know, Is there a message that you want people to, to know uh, that you think, you know what, yes, I'm here talking about myself. Yes, I'm here talking about what I do for work. But still, if we can connect and, and I can give a message to the people, what would that be? You know, Being the People First podcast, I want this to to leave them with something that is fresh from you and, and not sort of influenced by anything that I've said? Um, look, wait, I, I didn't have an answer planned for this because I didn't know you were going to ask. I guess... They're the best ones. Just be kind to people. Have empathy. Um, you know, I, I often see 
people are just so quick to judge someone, whether they're the person who parked in the disabled car park and they don't look disabled. Like, you don't know. You don't know if someone's had a tough day. Even though they did on purpose. I remember once I was in Kmart and I was at the photo booth and this lady had two kids out of control and she was screaming at them. They were screaming. And in the past, I'd be like looking at them strange. And then as a mother, I went, fuck, we've all had days where our kids are little shits, you know? Uh Like, who's to say she hasn't... Obviously, she's having a really bad day. And yep. instead of standing there judging, I think I just offered to help her. Like, just, yeah, be kind to people. Be kind to yourself, I think, is really important. I think that's a lot of things that people don't do well is just being, uh, you know, we can be so hard on ourselves. We don't know when to stop, listen to our body, all those sorts of things. So, yeah. Yeah. And that's why I'm big on two things. The expectation thing, the expectation yeah. on yourself. I mean, having unrealistic expectations. Yeah. And I do it a lot here in the gym. So I say, you know, we all want, to lift heavy, we all want to move fast, we want to move well and athletically. And yet, I don't know, like we just had this expectation that every time we train, we must do that. And, you know, it ruins motivation, it ruins passion for for fitness, passion for health. But I think that's about life as well. You know, as a business owner, I've got these expectations of, you know, gross income, you know, what we, you know, all that sort of stuff, you know, how many people can I help? What type of facility do I run? You know, is it clean enough? Is Is it strong enough? Is there enough development? And it just, I think if you're not patient and kind to yourself and going, you know, I'm doing a good job and that doesn't, yeah, that doesn't totally. need, doesn't need to change. I think I'm, I'm you know, in life and in fi- in my parenting and all that sort of areas, um, doing good is good. And you know, yeah. we always want to be the best. And I'm like, well, I don't think that's the best avenue. No, and define the best. What's the best? Well, yeah, it's exactly. like that question about what's success to you. Like, well, or, yeah, yeah. I can quote it for you again if you like. No. <laughs> yeah, no, thank you so much for coming in. No, I really do appreciate it. Thank I know you. you're very busy and I... Uh, yeah, I'm never to, I, yeah, I'm busy, but I'm never too busy. I don't like when people say that to me all the time because then I feel like I'm not that important. Like, I, I always have time for people. But yeah, and, and, yeah. I, and I do appreciate it so much. And I thank you so much for sharing the last 55 minutes with us. It's been thank good. You. Quick, hasn't it? Go, yeah. go so fast. Yeah, very quick. Now, if, if somebody wanted to get into contact with you, they sort of resonated with something. Maybe they've lost a loved one. Maybe they um, are struggling with things uh, in their life that you've mentioned or, or brought up or they want to talk more about the psychic that you went and seen. How could, and if you minded, would, do you mind if people contact you? Mm. How could someone get in contact with you? They, how can they find you? Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. You can find me on Facebook. Under just N-A-T-B-R-O-W-N-E. Yep. yep. You can find me at the gym. Brown with a B. Brown with an <laughs> <laughs> Brown with an E. Uh, yeah. I, I was at that when I had someone goes, um, so what's your name for coffee? I say, oh, that's um, Shane with a H. And they're like, <laughs> and it just throws them all the time. They're like, what do you, you're what do you the, mean? You're that idiot, are you? <laughs> <laughs> well, that and the then barista there, hates. And they're like, H-S-H-A. No, no, just Shane with a H in there. Well, I have to say Nat, N-A-T, because a lot of the time they put Matt or... <laughs> Yeah, you look like a Matt. Yeah. <laughs> like Matt. Is it is it that one T or two T? Miss Matt. <laughs> Miss Matt. What'd you call me Miss Matt for? Uh, thank you so much for your time. Thank I appreciate you. it, guys. Make sure you reach out to Nat. If you enjoyed the uh, the podcast, do you want to share it? Be my friend and share it for me. I'm sure Nat will share this too. Make sure you get out to people. And if you can, leave a review on iTunes and anywhere else you can leave a review and spread the love. Until next time, thank you so much for listening and have a great day. See you now. Bye, everybody. Bye.